Hello Peddlers, and welcome back to another show. It's been quite a while since the last one. I'm John, I'm going to be cycling home, which is starting pretty soon actually. 20,000 kilometers all the way back to the UK. I'll be heading to Sydney on the 6th of May, which is like a week and a half from now. Um, and I'm going to be cycling all the way to Melbourne and then to Perth and then flying over to Malaysia and then making my route all the way around Asia, into India, over into the Middle East and then into Europe. So on today's show, I've got someone pretty special to talk to um, and it's a long one as well, so sit back and enjoy this one. Um, and if you really want to do this kind of trip and you're really thinking about it and you want to get inspired to do it, this is the podcast for you guys because I'm talking with the two people that actually inspired me to do the trip gave me the ideas and actually helped me propel my thinking towards doing it. I'm doing it in a different way to these guys, um, but the idea of them doing it and also seeing them doing it and looking at the route uh, inspired me massively and I couldn't wait to meet these these guys. So this is the world spokespeople. They are Anek and Tane, Anike and Tane, sorry. Um, and they were in London and they took their trip from London all the way back to New Zealand and finished the trip only like a few months ago. So I caught up with them, we sat in a park, we chatted. It's a long show. Uh, I'm gonna just get straight into it because you've got to hear these guys. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Pedaling Podcast, uh, also pedalingpodcast.com as well. I'm updating a few things. Uh, if you know anyone in Sydney or in Melbourne uh, that wants to hang out, wants to ride, uh, has a sofa to crash on, send them my way because I'm super, super keen to hear and talk to people on the way as well. Also, if you know people I should talk to uh, in those cities or on the on the way as well, then also reach out and let me know. Love to hear from them. Otherwise, we're going to jump into the show. So this is uh, Anike, Tane and me sitting in a park eating cake and talking about cycling all the way across the world. So I'm here with probably the two, well, you are the two people that inspire this whole thinking of the trip. Um, my my mini heroes, mini Kiwi heroes, and, and now you're back. Um, so introduce kind of who you are. So I'm Tane. Uh, I'm the lead navigator of the group, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, from from Wellington, but lived in London for uh, for six years, and then uh, we decided to cycle back, uh, cycle home. Yeah. Make it sound so easy. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Annika. I'm the head chef and head buyer <laughs> and head communicator of our trip. And lead, lead Instagrammer as well, right? Yeah. She's head of communications, that's how we... <laughs> yeah, and after living in London for six years, we decided we wanted to have a bit of adventure before we moved back home to New Zealand. So over a few beers, Tane pitched the idea that we cycle and... Um, so we did, and here we are. We've made it. So, uh, in numbers, do you know the numbers yeah, yet? Yeah. So we we left in May, end of May, 2017. So we've been on the road for uh, 21 months. Uh, we've gone through, we cycled through 28 countries, and we have covered 20, just over 24,000 k's now. So yeah, it's 600 and 629 days or something like this on the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we've had a pretty good life-work balance because about 300 of those days we haven't been cycling. <laughs> okay. We've yeah. been tourists. Yeah. 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 So how did this? So the idea? How did the idea come about then? Like, I know where my idea came from. Is you guys? Yeah. Where did your idea come from? <laughs> um, so, like the backstory is, we'd we'd been living in London, and um, uh, we decided that we wanted to move home. My visa was finishing, um, so. 
we were talking about ways in which we were going to get home. We talked about like hiring a car and driving through like South America and maybe like backpacking through South America. Oh, sorry, through um, Southeast Asia. And then uh, I read a blog uh, on a friend of mine, his sister and her husband, and they cycled from Vietnam to Istanbul. So I read the blog, read like saw the video, and I was inspired. I was like, "Wow, that looks really awesome! I want to do I want to do a trip like that." And then um, uh, Annika and I were out at the pub. Uh, As you do when you're living in London, right? Yeah, yeah. I mm. mean, it's a daily occurrence. Um, we were with a couple of friends at the pub, and uh, they knew that we were leaving, um, but they didn't know what we were doing. And so um, they said, "Oh, you know, what's what's your plans?" And I hadn't said anything to Annika at this stage. But I was like, oh, we're, we're going to cycle to Vietnam. And, and then Annika's like, all right. What? Are we? <laughs> is, is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So then I kind of carried on. And then like the next day, I brought up a map. And Annika said, if, if we're going to cycle to Vietnam, then we might as well cycle all the way home. So, so and, this is, and, and, and at this point, how much have you been cycling before? Uh, not much at all. So we'd done um, like commuting in London. Uh, kind of Annika had kind of got me into cycling in London. Uh, and then we were doing a charity ride from London to Amsterdam in four days where we raised money for muscular dystrophy. Um, so we were kind of in the training for that and, uh, and only done commuting. So we hadn't done any, any long distance cycling before. So having to do all the research on what equipment we're gonna need, uh, what route we're gonna take, and all, all the layers of that, and then mm. figuring out how we're gonna buy it and, and all, those, all those things. So. We, we kind of look back at that time and like everything was just a series of, of little steps that got us to on the road. So we had, we, we had to, the first step was just thinking about the equipment we had to buy. And then the second step was, well, how are we, what, what, what way are we going to go? And then when we started, our first step was just to get to Amsterdam to spend to meet up with my family there and to spend time there. And then the second step was just to get to Basel in Switzerland to meet friends there. So, and ended up the whole trip was just these series of, of small okay. steps that kind of because back then, when, if I thought about cycling in India when we were still in London, it was just mind baffling. It was, mm. I couldn't I couldn't picture how we were going to get. To India it was overwhelming yeah. but we just really focused on just these small steps and these like exciting times of meeting people in places and didn't think too far in advance mm. yeah yeah because that, that's the similar things I'm thinking now like I can kind of think of Australia because it's you know right next door yeah. and you can kind of do it but then anything beyond that I'm like I don't even know where to start yeah. <laughs> yeah how do you even think about it how do you even go and people ask me oh how are you going to go where are you going to go and I'm like I just look at a map and just point and wave a little bit and then be like, I kind of come out here a little bit, but yeah. But And I think that's one of the things that was really good that um, about our trip was having that freedom because that allowed us to take on different different ways when we, when we got local knowledge. So like one of the big decisions that we changed were um, when we came into Turkey, we were originally just going to follow the northern coast all along the Black Sea and we'd, we stayed with two warm showers hosts in, in Istanbul. And they were like, you can, don't do that, don't do that. It's just, it's not, if you want to see all of Turkey, that's not the best way to do it. So having that freedom to be able to kind of go different ways, I think it really allows you to, to have a, uh, a richer trip, mm. you know. So we went through the centre of Turkey instead. We went um, down to Cappadocia um, 
and just had the most amazing time and saw so many different more regions of, of Turkey. Mm. So if you have to go, so if you go back and break it down, like look back and break it down to like the big chunks of say like, I don't know, uh, the Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and then going into the Middle East and then going into Asia. Like how, when you look back at those things, is that how you kind of look back at it in those chunks? Um, if you if say, say go back to Europe, how was your how was your like initial stages of, of going through Europe? Well, now we just class it as Europe. <laughs> it was three months because Tane had Schengen visa, so we had to get through Europe in three months. But at the time, okay. we broke it down. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was like the beginning of the trip, so we were kind of figuring out how to do everything. Everything was new. I mean, we'd never done anything like this before. We hadn't really been big campers or, you know, hadn't been camping since I was a kid kind of thing. And so we had to learn how to how to camp and how to work on a stove and and like the biggest challenge we found was free camping so trying to find spots to camp in the wild um and to ask people so and building our confidence for asking people to camp in the garden or just to ask people where can we where can where can we camp we, we didn't really have that confidence at the start um, and now we'll, we'll ask anyone <laughs> we'll put our tent anywhere yeah um, and, and before you started the trip I mean, from what I remember you saying, because I remember asking you a question over Instagram before, like, you know, like um, about planning your trip or whatever. And you're like, now we just got everything and went. We didn't even have time to sort of give it a go, like test everything. Mm. No, we didn't. Yeah. No, we, we honestly didn't. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the nearest we got to that is um, when the, because we had the bikes and I had built up the bikes with the racks and um, uh, all our panniers arrived. And our tent and yeah. our cooker in one week. In one week, that's right. And so we packed the, the panniers and then like the front panniers because like we didn't put all the stuff and we put, just put pillows in and then like mounted them onto the bikes and we, and we cycled up to um, Ali Pali, up to Alexander Pali. Palace. Yeah, and, and put, up, put up the tent in, in Ali Pali and started making a meal there. <laughs> that was your first day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing was is that because in the parks in London they've all got security cameras everywhere mm. so a security car came up to us because he thought that we were planning on pitching for the night <laughs> and he was like guys you can't you can't camp here I'm like no 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 we live down the road we've just got all this new kit and we're testing it out and we're cooking lunch but don't worry we're not staying so he yeah. called his mates on the cameras and he's like yeah you can stay another half an hour and then then you should go we're like all right yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, enough time to cook our pasta yeah that was quite an exciting feeling when we put that tent up for the very first time mm. and we got in there and we laid down <laughs> and just that, that feeling, eh? We were lying there, we're like, whoa, it, it really hit us that mm. we were about to do this trip. Yeah. So um, so going into Europe, see, I take it you took the ferry over? Yeah, so we came, we came over the Alps into Italy and then, um, oh, sorry, over the, from Switzerland over the Alps and, into Italy and then kind of followed the uh, western coast down um, through Amalfi and then crossed over into Brindisi and took the ferry across to uh, Patras and Greece and then came up through Athens and, and, and up through up through Greece and then crossed over into Turkey yeah so I've got a question what was the first like what was the first stressful moment that you went through like stuff breaking or stuff oh I think it was that time we tried a wild camp in Italy with the or the first the first mount, mountain pass oh oh the first mountain pass yeah in the Swiss Alps we'd only been cycling for two weeks with our fully loaded bikes at that point and we we're going up to the Gotthard Pass which is 
2,100 meters, I think. And we were climbing, climbing, I cracked it. I, I, I had that moment where I thought I couldn't, couldn't keep going. So I pulled over to the, we pulled over, I sat down, I had a cry. And Tane, while I was having a little moment, took like because I was carrying the tent at that stage took the tent off my bike and like the toiletries bag so probably close to five kilos and then we carried on and we made it we made it to the top but it for me that 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 was stressful moment where I thought man this is you know we're only two weeks in it and I and I I can't do it like I can't get up get up the mountain but it was like looking back it was purely just just fitness and um just getting used to the bike and actually of all things getting mentally strong because now when we've got a mountain pass coming I I look forward to it but I need to mentally prepare and know okay I'm gonna gonna be climbing for six hours but then you know you get to the top you've got an awesome view uh, you've got an awesome amazing feeling and then you've got you've got the downhill Uh, but at that time it was hard to to mentally get your head around just climbing for six hours you know you're just going 5k's an hour for six hours it's i guess you you at the same point it's not just riding a bike up a climb is it for you guys at that point because you're kind of carrying all your stuff you're trying to get to a destination i imagine to sleep and do whatever yeah. and you're also you're also like what you know what how many days were you in like two weeks two, two weeks two, in to yeah. like a, a year and a half journey yeah so that's yeah. kind of going through your mind at the same point as going up this climb yeah mm. yeah it was pretty romantic that was quite like as far as our romance goes on this trip if we're climbing a big hill and i'm too slow tanning will carry the tent it's quite quite romantic (laughs) and how are you riding together do you kind of like just ride side by side or you run one ahead one behind kind of how does it end up working out together do you kind of have this kind of like because i guess i kind of ride bikes with friends and stuff and you kind of like you kind of end up doing whatever like ever feels right you know you don't want to piss people off by going ahead and whatever so I wonder how it works with like a like a, a couple that are kind of traveling together. Is it kind of like a an unspoken rule to riding together or something? Nah, it really varies. So I'm navigating, so I'm normally in front. So like it's, it's quite annoying if you're trying to navigate from behind <coughs> and someone's in front of you. Um, so I'm normally in front, and then it, and then it just kind of varies. Sometimes we cycle together if it's if it's like. Um, flat and straight we're normally together because um there's no there's no real reason why one of us would be faster than the other then up the hills i'm i like to go a bit faster and i like to go a bit slower so so i'm always a bit faster up the hills and then and then normally on the downhills depending on what it is i'll stay behind arnica because if i go at my max and i'll just go way off in, in the front because i'm much heavier the bike just just with gravity goes much faster down the hill yeah, yeah. but usually with the hills Tana will climb faster than me and then you'll wait he'll wait for me and then we have a little break and then we'll, we'll yeah, yeah yeah okay so <laughs> that's how it works yeah I want to know about this uh Italy and the prostitutes oh yes <laughs> that looking back that was the most scary like the first scary like problem solving so we had just left Lake Como yeah. and we were like okay this is our night we were going to do our first wild camping like we'd, we'd read all the blogs we knew on paper how to do it and we'd found a spot on Google Maps. And we're like, yeah, big foresty area. There's little roads going in. This is going to be perfect. We're going to we're gonna camp there. So we're like geared up. We're really like on a high. Like, like camping illegally, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, 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 we're cycling through the 
forest on the road, which is just a single lane road, like not, not a busy road whatsoever. And we're about to take one of the first turns into the, to the forest where we wanted to camp. And all of a sudden we see a woman standing on the side of the road wearing not much at all. And we were like, looks like a prostitute. And we kind of were like, okay, let's not turn down that street. Let's just keep going for a bit. Like slowly our, our, our vibe, our happiness is decreasing a little bit. Um, and then we carry on about two, three Ks later, we see another woman. We see another woman dressed in not many clothes at all and clearly a prostitute. And we're like, okay, by this stage, tensions are getting a little bit high. We're feeling a little bit scared but uneasy about this patch that we'd decided so we carried on and we probably went past four or five so you're, you're sucking down this like forest road and there's just like half naked women here and there yeah, yeah. in the middle really, of nowhere that's really a scary movie yeah it's really <laughs> yeah. strange yeah. so we're like okay let's just go to the main this little village that we're coming up to maybe we can ask some people we turned came up to the like where we could camp got to the village and no one was very friendly um, and again at that stage you know we're only about a month into our trip we didn't have this confidence to to ask people so then Tani found like this farm stay something something popped up on Google that was seven k's away so we decided to go there and the camp campground they wouldn't let us camp there and they wouldn't were like well how much is a bungalow and they wouldn't let us sleep in a bungalow either I, d I don't know why but it was it was just really like there was something going on in this village something yeah, is yeah, going yeah. on so we're feeling really scared because now it's almost dark and we try not to to ride in the dark and so we decided okay well we just gotta we just gotta ride on so we rode on and then we just saw this tiny patch of forestry like almost like a triangle maybe like 20 square meters maybe of like forest mm. just off the road and Tana's like we're going in here so we just literally jumped in, scrawled, like crawled through the forest, put our tent up. In the meantime, these huge mosquitoes are biting us. So we have about 20 bites all over us. We jump into the tent, <laughs> dripping with sweat. <laughs> and then we, we lay down and we, <laughs> we didn't sleep at all that night. Yeah. <laughs> we just hid, like, we're just too scared to cook because we were like, people might hear us like we have no idea what's going on in this place yeah. and yeah well, then we got up as early as we could at like five and just packed up and rode on so how if you did that say if you what you've done now and you went back and did that again how different do you think you would be oh, so different i mean we, we wouldn't have camped there for a start and i think we would just we'd just ask people we'd just ask people where can we camp or can we camp on on your lawn okay like so that. that's the, the biggest thing that would change if you yeah. went back you would yeah. like, just ask more people yeah yeah because i think the thing was we were kind of scared to ask people that people would like turn us down or or be mean or something like this and then when you kind of start doing it you kind of realize uh, like no one really does that like people that do that are quite mean but most people don't do those kind of things and most people want to help you out so the worst really thing easy. someone will tell you is no and that's fine you mm. just go to the next person you know and we haven't even had any no's mm. <laughs> So, so what are you, so what are you asking? So you just go to someone's door, you see them around, and you're near the area you want to stay, and just be like, guys, that patch of grass outside your house, can I just sleep on it? No, it's a bit more tactical than that, eh? It's a bit more, hey, and you introduce yourself. You were like, hey, I'm Annika, I'm from New Zealand, we've cycled from London, we're just looking for a place to camp tonight. Do you, do you know where we can, can go? 
and so not like specifically asking can I sleep in your mm. garden but just asking them and and making it personal straight away that you're you're a friendly person because that's the main thing when a stranger comes up to you 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 want to you want to tr- you you want to trust them and we trust them straight away but it's a bit different when someone's knocking on your door or so I guess almost like giving them the idea to ask to, yeah, to invite to you to stay you know yeah. okay yeah cool that's tip number one yeah okay so 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 take me through like the the rest of the journey from there then so you've kind of you're going out through Europe. I guess the, what's the first big challenge? Kind of like leaving Europe. Did you, did you face anything, or was it just going through the, the eastern side of Europe and up into Turkey? Yeah, I mean, we came out through Greece and then into, into Turkey. I think one of the challenges of riding into Istanbul was, was pretty pretty hairy. And the D100 is the main road in there, and it's it's a bit of a nightmare. I mean, the majority of it's fine, but the last kind of hundred k's is super busy. Um, the roads are really narrow. There's no shoulder, and so. But it's... that's when we first started to experience Islamic hospitality. Okay. So from. So the... you're going from one culture now straight into the next one. Right? Yeah. So from the Greece border to Istanbul, it's about three. It was a three-day ride. I couldn't tell you the amount of people that just stopped on the side of the road to give us stuff. You know, so we would be riding along, and it was really hot at this time. We were riding along, and a van, like a like a builder's van, would pull over on the motorway in the shoulder, and he'd just put his arm. This is the first experience we had. He put his arm out his window, a plastic bag with two ice cold water bottles in it. Now for us. Wow. Yeah. And you just took them, drinking them in a confused look, and. Yeah. We sculled it. Oh, yeah. it was the best thing. It was exactly what we needed. And then just after that, we rode up a hill and there's a guy selling watermelon on the side of the road. And they grow a lot of watermelon in Turkey. And he like, called us aside, called us aside. It was really like, went up to him and he just had a whole watermelon, which probably weighed about five kilos. And he strapped that to the back of our bike. And at the same time, he was feeding us slices of watermelon. <laughs> so we walked off with, with five kilos, with a five kilo watermelon on the back of our bike. And we rode, we got off the motorway and we rode down to this little picnic spot. And we're like, okay, we've got to make a dent in this five kilo watermelon. But there was a Turkish family having a picnic right next to us. And they immediately came over to us and we're like, come over, come over. So we went and sat and had this picnic with this family. It was um, parents with their their parents and their young children, so three generations. All this homemade like Turkish bread and like um, marinated olives. We sat there and ate this big picnic with them and one of them spoke English. And we tried to share some of this watermelon, but they wouldn't take the watermelon. <laughs> but they packed us more food. So then we rode away still with the five kilo watermelon and homemade <laughs> Turkish pizza. <laughs> it was just phenomenal. It, it was just absolutely incredible. Because I guess as being a British person and you guys as Kiwis as well, I guess I'm not sure if the the, the, the perception of the Middle East is, is, is the same, but you kind of, when you talk to people who don't know the area as well or have ever been there and stuff, they kind of like look at it with a suspicion and, and, and you're going to be in danger and stuff like that. It's not going to be that hospitable. But actually from everyone I've spoke to who's been there and, and you know met kind of people from Iran or, or Turkey and stuff kind of do share that kind of view you know like actually the the yeah they are a sharing kind of culture you know yeah. and, and you guys experience the whole way around yeah yeah absolutely I mean the people in Turkey were just just so friendly yeah 
they do this thing in Turkey where they, so tea is called chai, and the tea there is just black tea. And um, they do this small, where you, where they put one hand, like the left hand above the head, and then the right hand, they swirl it around like you're swirling sugar in a tea. And they're like, chai, 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 chai. And that's their symbol for calling us over to have tea with oh, them. Okay. And we would have this numerous times a day and we tried to we didn't we made a patch that we didn't want to turn anybody down because for us a big reason why we were cycling in these countries was to experience the culture and to meet meet local people who who don't necessarily meet tourists um so we we really tried to not turn people down at all and and would 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 stop most of the time for for tea and most of the time they couldn't speak english but we just somehow have a conversation uh, with sign language and google translate yeah um, do you think they're calling you over because you're kind of like you obviously look like a tourist or someone doing something different and it's because you're on a bike maybe as well and just i think so all of the all of the above yeah i i it's a real mentality of um wanting to make uh guests feel welcome that's kind of what is is the prevailing kind of feeling so yeah, that and, and interest. They're just you're obviously someone someone that looks a bit different. And what are you doing here? How did you get here? You know, all, the, all these kind of questions. Yeah. So, so you, how did the trip go from then? So you're going through Turkey. You come out of Turkey into. Well, we, we so we went through the centre to Cappadocia, and then we headed north um, towards the Black Sea, and then um, followed the Black Sea along to Georgia and crossed over into into Georgia, and then. Um, I had an awesome, awesome mountain pass through Georgia and, <laughs> and stayed with some monks. A second mount, mountain pass. Yeah. <laughs> they were tears still. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty brutal. And then, both of you. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was really hard. Uh, the Godurzi. The last Godurzi pass, five yeah. kilometers we basically had to push because it was all like really hard. Like I don't even reckon you on your bikepacking bike could do it. Like it's like these almost boulders. And okay. had just snowed, so there was ice and snow. It was gorgeous. There's ice and snow all over the roads. Our bikes at the end of it, oh, they, they were in a terrible condition. But yeah, it was pretty hard. And because we've got clip-in shoes, we kept we couldn't. The the grit from the snow was getting stuck in our cleats, so we couldn't unclip. So yeah, we both fell over numerous times. And yeah, when you're so exhausted and so tired, and then you fall over, even though it doesn't really hurt, it's just the shock. And yeah, but but we made it to the top and drank lots of chacha, which is like vodka, homemade vodka, in Georgia, um, with the people at the resort up there. Mm-hmm. And then on the way down, we stayed, had an amazing experience, staying with some monks in a monastery um, on Lake Pivari. Yeah. Yeah, Saint Nino's Monastery, and they welcomed us in, and it was minus one outside, so they welcomed, welcomed us in and gave us a room inside the monastery, and we, we ate all together, and oh, it was, it was an amazing And, and you're, what, you're just cycling past, you're asking for help at this point, how does it actually... We'd, we'd, so we'd read on, oh, we'd seen photos on Instagram of other people that had gone through, and um, so we contacted them, and they said, oh, you know, go, go, see, go see the monks there, so we'd, we'd already had the plan to kind of go there, and... And then you you can't you don't really know you just kind of roll up there and then there was a big building so we kind of went over and some of the monks came out and said oh come inside and do you want something to eat and, you know just wow. really do you want do you? and then like we had like a big bowl of pasta soup and on like one of the huge kind of wooden tables and a big fireplace you know it's really cold and uh, and they're like oh so do you need a place to sleep tonight and there was one kind of guy that was translating for 
um, everybody else. So everybody would kind of ask us questions through him. Yeah, that's that was really nice. It was such an amazing experience. Yeah. And then from Georgia, we dropped down to Armenia. We're still in the in the mountain range there, and Armenia was just gorgeous. It was so untouched. We went into the disputed region called Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, which is the disputed region between Armenia and Azerbaijan, and it was so like there was no hardly no one there, but had beautiful. Uh, new roads and all in the mountains so we're we're doing about 2,000 meters total elevation every day <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> but the roads are empty and That's they're, they're brand new seals so like it's really nice riding yeah. I stopped crying on mountain passes then <laughs> we yeah, got from the monks place onwards, yeah, yeah. we got pretty strong yeah it was it was awesome and uh so from Turkey, we were invited all the time for tea, but when we entered Georgia and Armenia, we were invited all the time for vodka. And okay. even th there was this time in Nagorno-Karabakh, because um, there's still a bit of tension there, there's a lot of military around, and they just have stations. And this one group of military, they, they called us over, and we're like, okay, yeah, let's go. And we walked up, and they're like, coffee, coffee. And we're like, okay, coffee. So we go, they've got like a shipping container as their office. And, and two barracks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and two single beds in there, and so we went in there. There's five of these big um, Armenian military guys. They've all got AK-47s on them, and there's the two of us. So seven of us squeezed into this shipping container, <laughs> drinking coffee, and now boiling cow's stomach. Because they love offal over there, absolutely love it. So Tani had to eat some. I'm vegetarian, so I got out of it. Yeah. And then as soon as he did that, then it was vodka time. So we're doing shots of vodka <laughs> in this tiny shipping container with five huge military guys with AK-47s strapped to them. <laughs> Just one of those moments where we kind of looked at each other like, whoa, <laughs> are we really here? <laughs> But that's what's cool about what we're what cycling. You'll have so many of these opportunities, and it's awesome. Just, just you could easily have just not gone in. Like we could have easily have not accepted their offer. Yeah, because we were quite far past, and they were kind of like yelling out to us, like relatively far away. And we're like, ah, oh, should we? You know, you know, we're almost there. We just need to keep going. Like, oh, you know, you you, you kind of got to go back. You've already got to have that in your mind that just to try and take take all those opportunities that kind yeah, of come yeah. along because yeah. like they are really special because those are the opportunities that that you remember mm. it's not like the planned stuff and yeah yeah you can't put a price on on those experiences yeah, yeah. Yeah. so like how does it so when you're kind of doing a trip and you're kind of going from a to b like and you've got to get by x place at a certain time and you kind of things like this happen along the way does everything kind of just work out or is it does it get to the point where you're like okay We've really got to get moving now, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think we 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 before we left London, we had kind of a an end goal of being home for Christmas this uh, twenty eighteen, just been. So that was what we were always working to, and and we had a rough idea of where we were going to go, but it wasn't fixed, so it allowed us to change our plans. So like. We'd originally planned to go to go to Perth and cycle from Perth to um, to Melbourne, 
but because we'd taken more time in in okay. in, uh, what, in Southeast Asia and India and and uh, Middle East and stuff, we we kind of cut that that section shorter because we we were enjoying what we were doing, and so we just kind of it was like if it feels right, we continue doing that. So it kind of becomes worth the sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I mean, it, like, what what do you want to achieve from it? You know, like, what do you want to achieve from your trip? You know, it's like, well, if you want to try and experience as many things in these kind of uh, places that you're enjoying, then then you've got to do that as opposed to just cycling as much as you can or um, it, like ticking boxes or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Because an, an example of that was in Vietnam, we'd always planned to cycle through the mountains to on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Mm-hmm. But we started on the coast because I'd been unwell. So we thought, let's start on the flat and just um, follow the coast until we've got our strength back and then we'll go into the mountains. But we were enjoying cycling along the coast and going through all these tiny fishermen villages so much that we never actually went up into the mountains. We just were like, you know what? We're absolutely loving the coast, and why would we change this just because we think it might be, you know, just because we'd always planned, oh yeah, we'll cycle the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And so yeah, so we never went up, but Vietnam was one of our favorite Southeast Asian countries to cycle tour in. Yeah. So yeah, it just, it, we do a lot with what your gut tells you to do, and, and you do what feels right. So take me back to kind of going. <laughs> we're just jumping ahead. <laughs> you're jumping ahead. I just want to like, <laughs> In my head, I've got this map that you're that I'm yeah. following right now. Yeah. Uh, to talk about going into Iran then, because Iran, obviously, we just talked about a moment ago, it might be somewhere I might not be able to get into and go through. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm, it's one of the one places I would love to visit, you know. Yeah. Um, and not a lot of people, I guess, know about kind of, you know, why it's such a great place to go to, but yeah. from a tourist perspective. So we should talk about actually how we felt before we entered Iran, because we're in a tiny Armenian village and we'd read a lot, like... Like when we enter any new country, we read a lot of blogs online of people who have traveled there before to gather information. Um, so one of the things is no, you can't have, um, no tourist card will work there. So you have to carry cash, US dollars or euros into Iran for the entire time you're going to be there. So one, it's quite hard to know how much you've got to carry. So we were carrying a thousand US dollars on us. And we never carry that much cash. So we were a bit scared that was going to last us two months, you know, in in Iran. And then the other thing is, um, is as a woman, you have to be covered up in Iran. So I'm only allowed my face, hands and feet to be shown. So I have to wear a a hijab, a scarf around my my head. So so there were things like that where we had to kind of alter what I was, was wearing and we we knew there were lots of rules in Iran, so actually doing that that border crossing was 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 was, was scary because we mm. we didn't want to break any rules unknowingly. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was really really smooth smooth sailing um, when we when we crossed, which was good. Mm. Uh, and, we, and we had another one of the kind of what what happened. So we were in Iran for is it fifty fifty three days? Yeah, fifty three days yeah and 41 nights yeah 41 it's the other way around it's 51 days and 43 nights okay um but we spent um so we spent 43 nights with um hosts when we were there and so when we like an example so we just kind of came in the first night we camped in the wild 
uh, at a kind of picnic area um, close to the border and then we were off to see one of the hosts that had contacted us so he'd seen us on Instagram saying and he was like well if you're coming from the north from uh, through our mania then you have to come and stay with me so we stayed with him for two nights well it ended up being like four nights or something because we got snowed in because we got snowed in yeah and yeah that's kind of what that's like the story of Iran just kind of people inviting us from either from from the street or, or through Instagram or, or through and was there any before you went was there any rules on accommodation before you arrived because like you had to stay with organized host or certain nah. places or you could actually it's camp if you wanted to yeah it's not there's no rules against camping no you can camp wherever yeah the Iranians love to camp yeah, yeah. okay but Iran is like hospitality on a like next level like we've talked about Turkey before but it's it's just next level from Turkey so I remember when we cycled from Tehran to Com it's about 100 k's and we got stopped on the motorway at least half a dozen times just by people pulling over they'd open their boot and then they'll just give us whatever they've got in their boot so that's oranges pistachios dates a cup of tea uh, and all they say is welcome to Iran and then they get in their car and they, they go off. Some people will give, like, um, because it's quite gender divided, the men will speak to Tane and they quite often give Tane their phone number and they'll say, if you're ever in trouble, call me, I'll help you. Um, a lot of people say where they live and they say, when you get to my city, come stay. And one family, they were living and going to Com and they invited us to stay and we ended up staying with them for two nights. and. We had an, a really amazing time. The, the tricky thing with Iran is because it's so gender divided, it, it's quite hard for us because, you know, Tani would normally go up to a woman and hug her hello and have a conversation and I would do the same to a, to a man, but you're, it's just Tane can only speak to the men and I can only speak to the woman. And if it's an older woman, a lot of the older women don't speak any English. So sometimes that's a bit tricky, but this particular family, the, the young daughters could speak English, so we were communicating a lot whilst Tane communicated with the father. And actually when we got there, they were going to a woman's party where when a newborn is, when a baby is born, the grandmothers of the baby will um, create the nursery by the bed, by the um, bathtub, by the clothes, and then invite all the family and friends over, but just women. Um, and so we got to go to that, and, walked in well not Tani I, I walked in and this woman in like cocktail dresses and stilettos with big makeup on and it, it was crazy to see this contrast to to you know seeing them normally covered head to head to toe you know and singing and dancing and it, it was really an amazing experience and then when the husbands come to pick them up the woman they put they change their stilettos and they put the big black uh, sheet around them and they, they walk out. <laughs> it's quite amazing, yeah. Mm. So that was an incredible experience to see kind of the female side of it, mm. yeah. I guess like, a, like a, from what I've heard is, is they kind of have a public life and then like, the, the, like you were saying, the private life, yeah. you know, it's kind of obviously quite different. Yeah. Cool. So, so Iran from then on, the next part of that was what, taking the boat? Yeah, so we went down to, um, uh, I forget the name. Bandar Abbas. Bandar Abbas, and we took the ferry across to, to Dubai. And then from Dubai, we cycled through Oman, which was awesome. O Oman's, I, I'd love to go back and cycle there, like beautiful deserts. 
like really kind of like wild camping everywhere and okay. and they've got all these um wadis so they're like uh like spring water in um canyons that you can go you go swimming in and camping beside and that's where like all the trees and stuff are and uh, that it's like little oases in, in, in the desert yeah so you didn't i thought you went to dubai and then flew directly out of dubai to india but okay nah, so we, we cycled for seven days from dubai to muscat and then um and then from muscat we flew to kochi in this in kula state of india and that seven days was the longest we went without a shower. <laughs> <laughs> what, cycling across? Yeah, yeah. we were wild camping every night. and But, we'd, we'd but we were time, swimming. Yeah, we were swimming and we timed it really well. So like if we were there in midsummer, it's like over 50 degrees. But this was uh, January, February time. So midwinter, 25, 30 degrees. Beautiful. Uh, perfect cycling weather. So what, what is um, life like without showering for a while? You get really used to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it becomes something that you don't Generally really worry about so much. Smell each other, anymore. actually. Yeah. I guess you get used to each other's smell. <laughs> because I guess like normal Western life is shower every day. It's yeah. kind of a normal yeah. thing, twice a day, maybe some people. But yeah. actually, even at the moment, we're staying with mum and dad, and we're not even showering every day because we're like, <laughs> we haven't earned to shower. <laughs> yeah. We're not cycling. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you, that feeling. You learn to change that feeling of. You know, when you have a, do loads of exercise and you feel really dirty and you really want to shower and, like, you're kind of desperate for it, you kind of learn to kind of suppress that feeling. But well, I guess it's being self-conscious, isn't it, as well? You kind of become self-conscious of yourself and your smell and the people around you and stuff. Yeah. When you're out on the road cycling, it's like, oh, well, who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You do, that self-conscious feeling comes back when you've been, like, I just met some of the trials we've done in New Zealand where we've gone four days sweating through the through the bush and then we rock up to like a warm showers host or like a family friend's house and we're sitting in their very clean lounge and i realized we haven't showered in four days and our clothes haven't been washed in four days and i'm like we probably stink <laughs> and we're like, we'll just quickly have a shower okay <laughs> they're like okay yeah you should do that <laughs> yeah yeah that's good it's a nice feeling it's liberating but um, like India, India was kind of like the next step after um, after Oman, and that was kind of part of the original plan of the journey. So when you when you come, you either go north of the Himalayas or south of the Himalayas, and we'd made the decision to go south, and that we really wanted to go to India. So um, uh, we've been really well looking forward to that. But just kind of in the lead up to it, we've been reading like a whole lot of like other blogs, like cyclist blogs and lots of cyclists really hate cycling in India um, so I, I was feeling particularly nervous about kind of getting there and like oh man are we going to hate this is this going to be like a really bad kind of experience and what were you what were you reading before what was your perception from uh, what you were reading oh that the roads were really dangerous okay. uh, uh, and that there was just like too many people everywhere and no it, camping yeah yeah no camping and uh, it, it just sounded like some people had really hard times, really, really hard times. But for us, we had a, I think we were really lucky because um, we, we flew into Kochi, which is in the south in Kerala. And there it's not like, it's not like the India that we would read about. It was super chilled and people were really friendly. I mean, the roads are a bit, they're dangerous, but once you get how they work and who the, the buses rule the road and any circumstance, if you see a bus, you get off the road. <laughs> but otherwise, otherwise, uh, the roads are actually pretty sweet. It's not. It's not a big deal. I didn't. I didn't feel that. I didn't feel particularly unsafe in India. And they're, they're the road conditions. 
they're relatively poor but there's lots of minor roads so like for example in New Zealand you've got one one in South Island in particular you've got one main road that connects cities yeah. whereas uh, in India you've got like the highway and then you've got lots of secondary roads and small roads and dirt roads so you've got lots of ways to avoid the traffic yeah and a lot of these small roads are just made for like honestly camel camels I'm not joking but they they really use camels as transportation um, mm. and they have a lot of scooters and a lot of bicycles so they're, they're really small roads you don't have trucks or anything on them so actually it was almost ideal for us mm. but India it really surprised us in the south of India we got invited into people's homes just from the streets so one of the homes I don't know what story to tell to be honest <laughs> um, one of the homes we went into a school first to ask um, we'd read that um, we had some friends that were camping in schools in India so we went and asked in the school if we could camp and they were like oh no because there's wild dogs around so they are scared of our safety and we we're like okay all right got some selfies with them selfies every day and then we rode on and two minutes later one of the teachers she um, drove past us in her scooter and she was like so are you following me then and we're like yeah we'll follow you so we literally followed her for about 20 minutes um, going getting really rural like now we're on dirt roads and we're like oh my gosh where is this lady leading us but it was just one of those situations where we we just trusted her straight away we, we knew it was going to be a good situation we rock up she they lived in a, a beautiful home two-story modern home and she had two teenage children that were um, very good in English and yeah we ended up staying the night we learned how to make chapatis in the evening and then in the morning we woke up at sunrise and practiced yoga with them and wow. it was honestly <laughs> like another one of those kind of pinch me moments and and it was it was a really um, awesome experience because the whole time they kept asking us are you happy are you comfortable here and we're like yes we're, we're really happy here and and they're like are you happy with us here and they're like oh, we're so happy and they're like we've never had um, foreigners stay with us before and and it was almost like we could because we were sharing with them a lot about New Zealand and about English uh, our time in London and um, because we were sharing a lot of our stories and showing pictures and videos of our families we're almost um, giving giving to them in this way where they were learning about our culture at the same mm. time as mm. we were learning from them yeah mm. it's quite a hard thing to get used to just being welcomed into a stranger's home and you don't necessarily have anything physical to mm. give anyone mm. to give them well I guess it's almost strange to be I mean as a as a kid growing up, you're kind of told to stay away from strangers, right? You kind of have this kind of like view of the world where everyone invites you to something, gives you something for free. It's always with a kind of like, what else do you want? Or something like that? Or do you want something in return? So, you know, when you hear it, it's kind of like, okay. And they didn't want anything. They didn't ask for anything. It's kind of like, okay. It's a strange, I guess a strange feeling. It's a first experience. So I've got a question, Chief Navigator. <laughs> so when you talk about these small roads, I was just thinking like all these small roads, I mean, I imagine some places that you visit don't have Google's not kind of like gone and, you know, drawn everything up for you and stuff to make it easy. Yeah. How do you how do you go about planning? What's your kind of method? So like I do I do reading. So I, I try and search like routes. So for example, if uh, when we were flying, flying into Kochi, I was researching routes from Kochi to Mysore and seeing if there was anything that was coming up, like any blogs or anything like that. And then if I can find anything like that, I'll, I'll kind of like 
look at the maps and try and get them down through through onto my GPS. So I don't I don't use um, Google Maps. There's another thing called um, Osmond Open Street Maps and and um, this is awesome. It's a really powerful offline maps program. So you can uh, before you go to a country, you can download all the maps for that country and, and use them offline. And it does like routing and stuff, so you can uh, choose what type of roads you want to want to avoid and, and 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 select. And if you want to avoid tunnels or, or things like that, it's it's really good. But I think um, the the key is to try and I look for other people's routes. You try and see what other people have done, because uh, then you have some kind of experience in, in what might be good. Yeah, yeah. So you like your first thing is anyone else has done it has experience, take that as a priority, then yeah. kind of start working things out on your own after that. Yeah. And another really good example is like so when we when we left India and went into Nepal. So we're looking at, looking at how to get from uh, the western border, uh, Banbasa to uh, Kathmandu, and what's the best route to kind of take to, to get there. And there's quite a lot of people that kind of come through and, and cycle through Nepal. So, so yeah, just just reading like there were lots of information online to be able to, to pick that and 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 what we decided to do was really good. Uh, it turned out really good. So we went to um, what's that um, what's that town? Uh, Pokhara. We went to Pokhara and then after there we took we took buses because the roads were really bad and it's really busy. That's another thing. We don't have an ego about cycling every kilometer. So that well we got we're in a bit of a rush then from Pokhara yeah, yeah, because plane, we yeah. at that time the land border between India and Myanmar was closed so nobody not even locals could cross this this land border um, but luckily in the last three months it's now open so our only way to get into Myanmar was to fly so we kind of booked a flight from Kolkata so we had to get a bus to Kathmandu for a few days and then get a train down to Kolkata for our flights so we were in a bit of a rush and if we were to cycle oh we've We've seen pictures on Instagram and read blogs of that cycle from Pokhara to Kathmandu, and it doesn't look nice at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, um, maybe some people find it fun, but for us, we wouldn't know. Okay, and breathe. Okay, guys, this is where you can go and put the kettle on. You can go get your sandwich. You can go do something. This is a midway break, just to sort of let you know some things going on. Next week, I'm going to be catching up with Anna Kay and Tane again, doing a quick Q&A about the whole trip. So if you're listening to this and you've got some questions, you want to get it off your chest, you want to ask about some things to do with where they've travelled, the gear that they've got, or how they did it, or how they think about it, uh, just reach out to me, Pedlin Podcast, usually on Instagram, or you can hit my email address, which is johnwpairs at gmail.com. And ask me a question, throw it at me, and I'll ask the guys next week if you have a very specific thing I'll also be posting and sharing this on social media as well, so you can reach out to me there too. Um, But yeah, let's get back into the show. So would you say, would you say, where's your halfway point? Where do you where do you set like this is halfway through the trip now? About about there. Yeah, roughly. So we we hit ten thousand k's in Oman. And so we're at 24 now. So I think halfway would have been, yeah, Nepal, just entering, entering Nepal. Okay. And how have you, so from, from leaving London to being here, were you, do you reflect a lot on that as you're going? Like, do you sit down and talk like, oh my God, actually we're here? Or you just kind of just keep going to the next thing, you're always thinking forward? I think one of the things that's really nice, so you get asked every day on the road, like, 
where are you from and how have you got here so like uh telling the story of of that journey every day is, is, is quite is quite cool so i've got a map on my phone so I, I i bring that up and i and i show show the people that i'm telling and it always gets longer and longer and longer and longer and longer and so you're like oh wow we're and now we're at the end of it you know i've been telling the same story for two years and you're like there's only this much left on the map to go yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool yeah so we usually reflect when we're speaking with with other people yeah yeah and what about like so you, what about what are you doing in the day so you're obviously stuck in the day you have breakfast in the morning what are you doing in the evening? Usually, obviously, setting up your tent, but <laughs> chilling out, it, it really drinking. Varies. Yeah. <laughs> depends what country <laughs> we're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It depends on what country we're in. Whether we're going to be so if we're camping a lot, so like uh, the the steps that kind of go into that, because obviously you're trying to get somewhere before it gets dark, put up your tent, cook, and then kind of get into your tent, and then and then kind of relax. But if you're not camping, so like in India, we didn't really do much camping. We're just staying in, in like hotels and stuff or, or um, backpackers. So you get there and then you go out for dinner and you, you go and do do stuff at night. But quite different. Yeah. If we're, if we're tenting, we're not doing any of that stuff. So one thing I guess like humans are really good at and like are like habits and stuff, getting into routines and stuff. Like, you know, they go home, you know, do whatever they're going to do. But do you have that? On the road, we've got a routine. Yeah, yeah. But they're adaptable, and mm. they, they change depending on like what's best. So what's working best in in each country. So like in the mornings when we're camping, when we wake up, um, Tana usually gets up ten minutes before me and puts the cooker on and starts boiling the water for the coffee. While he's doing that, I put the tent down, and then once the coffee's boiled and he's making the coffee, I then make the porridge, and then. We kind of take turns with who's going to do the dishes <laughs> and we're kind of packed up and ready to go and that's kind of those that routine stayed pretty pretty much the same mm. um in the evenings i chop the veggies you stir so yeah annika was joking at the start when she said she was the head chef i she, am the head she, chef <laughs> she's the head chopper and i'm the head chef I buy the produce, I decide on the recipe, and I t tell Tane what we're making, and then you do it. And then I make it great. You right. do. You do. You do make it great. For those, obviously you can't, and no one can, can hear this, but they can't see it, but I think Tane did get a death stare at that comment just then. It was definitely a death stare. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're, you're halfway in, you're in Nepal. So, so, so what's going on now then? So you've made this... In Nepal, we well, ditched our bikes and we did a hike. Yeah, and the other really cool thing that we've, we've done is we've cycled with other people along the way. Oh, yeah. So we cycled with a, a couple that on their Instagram name is Now We Cycle, and they're a Lithuanian couple, and we cycled with them for maybe 10 days, something like that, maybe mm. a week, into, and we're entering Nepal. And one of the things that, whenever we've done this, it's been, it's really useful to kind of, travel with other people like this so you can you get to see what they do and and different techniques that they use for camping and what their routines spots. are yeah what their routines are like for navigating or or cooking or whatever it's really it's always really handy to travel with others to kind of get some ideas on how you can do it better okay yeah and so yeah we i just remember that really one we were wild camping in like nepalese jungle with them for 
for about a week and as we were making our way um, east towards Kathmandu and um, we found some awesome wild camping spots with them and I remember this one night we were camping on a riverbank and there were fireflies flying around us and we were smoking cigars and drinking whiskey and it was just and we're deep in this like in the Nepalese jungle it was just yeah, yeah. it was picturesque and it's cool to have some of those comforts you know we do like to have have the odd drink and um, to share it with other people. Mm. Just so happened that they had some awesome cigars on them. So, mm. like that sort of thing, it's just it's mm. quite magical. Mm. For this halfway point, I'm imagining like how 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 much did you end up meeting and riding with people on the way so far? Actually, there wasn't as many as what we thought we would because we had the German couple in Iran, um, Sylvia yeah. and Lena, that we cycled with. Yeah, and. Um... Peter and Colleen and Greece and an Indian lad called Kishore in India yeah and we had um, Anil in Turkey a Turkish lad in Turkey Anil yeah and are these people that find you online somehow and then connect with you or are they people you meet just on the road both both yeah Um, most of them have been through connections on Instagram on Instagram Mm. but uh, we've met so we cycled in New Zealand with um an Italian guy that we just met at the supermarket and uh, he didn't have his bike with him and he just came up to us and started talking and then he's like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm a cycle tourist as well. <laughs> and, he's like, and we got on, we just instantly kind of clicked and we're like, oh, so do you want to cycle together? He's like, yeah, yeah. So the next day we cycled for together, together for four, five, four or five, five days. days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It's really awesome. Should we move on from Nepal? Let's go on from Nepal. We had to fly to Myanmar, which we explained before. And um, which is in Myanmar, we thought, oh, it's going to be Southeast Asia. It's easing off, like with the rules and that sort of thing. But you in Myanmar, you have to stay in um, tourist official tourist hotels, and you're it's illegal to camp. And if you stay in people's homes, um, you those people can get fined for hosting tourists. So we were kind of confined to staying in tourist hotels. so we had a bit of a tough time because it's it's never as enjoyable when you're going from hotel to hotel. Um, uh, but we 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 wanted to break the rules a bit, and the first <laughs> we didn't want to go from hotel to hotel. Um, but the first we tried to wild camp, but there were so many Myanmar's that in the regions we were going through, it seemed quite popu- populated. So we were going down tiny little streets trying to find somewhere to camp, but there were just people coming out of the bushes and just people. people would start following us so we'd be going down like a dirt road and people would like stop and look at us and say like can't just say like what are you doing we're like oh <laughs> we're just we're just going go going down the road kind of thing and then they'd just wait to see what we were going to do <laughs> so we couldn't go off and hide you know it was impossible to, to find in any other country we would just say oh we're trying to find somewhere to camp but because it was illegal we we didn't want to say that and um, so anyway, that night we ended up going to the local police station and we, we asked if we could camp there, which took a, quite a bit of convincing, um, but we managed to convince them that we needed to stay in the police station and so we pitched our tent in the middle of the, the chief policeman's <laughs> office for the night. I think I saw this photo on Instagram, you literally, your tent fills the room pretty much, right? Yeah, 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 yeah so... So that was that yeah, was that good. Was it. And the only other we we had one night wild camping, but um, this was in a, a really remote um, forest, 
it's like a teak, teak tree forest. So um, we did as, as stealthy as we could. There was no people around. And then when we kind of saw a spot up, kind of ducked down and off the road and hid, Annika and I hid behind some bushes and left the bikes there. And then I kind of ducked up into the spot to try and find somewhere that had, was flat and would fit our tent and then came back down and then kind of waited undercover for, uh, to make sure there was no cars going past. And then one by one, we kind of took the bikes up into the spot and came back and then and then we're really careful to kind of hide our torches and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> but because we're talking to a lot, we've we'd spoken to a lot of people that had done uh, wild camping in Myanmar and they said that most of the time you're fine. Um, but we had spoken to people that had had been found and it's not a very nice experience. You don't get fined or anything, but um, they just come and wake you up at two or three o'clock in the morning and say, you can't stay here. You have to keep going. And it's not, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. I didn't want to have to be, yeah. deal with police. And But you still did it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, from Myanmar, we, there's only two, two border crossings into Thailand, um, one kind of in the middle and one right down the south. So we took the, the middle one to Maesot. And we, yeah, we entered Thailand, which was an absolute, dream felt so developed from the countries we'd been in for the past six months um you know wide wide roads cycle lanes 7-elevens <laughs> you'll love them when you get to them um with the banana chocolate chip muffins um, and yeah we went up through the northern thai jungle through chiang mai and chiang rai um had some awesome experiences the thai people up there were very welcoming cycled past an elephant, um, which was, was quite um, a shock. Doing highway, highway maintenance. He's, yeah, the, the ele- <laughs> it was a working elephant doing, so um, you know how here you've got trucks that cut the trees as they're driving past? Or, right. yeah. yeah, so they, they have elephants that do that. So these are guys sitting on top of the elephants cutting the trees as the wow. elephant walks past, <laughs> yeah. That casual as well. Yeah, Super yeah, cash, so yeah. Casual. yeah. <laughs> Um, and then took the slow boat um, from the border of Thailand to into Luang Prabang, which unfortunately uh, in Laos. So now we're in Laos, and unfortunately that's where I got found out that I um, had serious liver damage and had to fly to Bangkok um, to find out what was wrong with my liver. And it turns out I had hepatitis E, which is from contaminated food or water which I most probably picked up in Myanmar. So it was seven days in the hospital on IV and then got discharged and it was two more weeks of rest. And then we flew to Hanoi. And so, 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 that, so Sorry, w- I just, I just want to talk back to you because that, <laughs> that's quite a big yeah, moment. <laughs> in terms of challenges, that's got to be like the biggest one, right? Do you think? In yeah. terms of dealing with that, like... It was pretty scary. It was very scary. Yeah. It was it was really scary because when we went to the doctor in Laos and I was showing symptoms like um, I just had an uncomfort like discomfort in my stomach and headaches and no appetite. And that was the main thing. I didn't have an appetite. I was like something's seriously wrong. I'm not eating. Um, and when when he did a blood test, he thought it was going to be a hepatitis, but it came back negative for A, B, and C. But he could see that my liver was really damaged so damaged that he's like i should be admitting you into hospital right now but you should probably go find some go get some better care so 
So either fly home or um, next closest is Bangkok. And so that was scary because we were then on the phone to travel insurance and booking flights for the next day and the whole time not knowing what was wrong with me. You kind of think the, it's hard to not think the worst in that scenario, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but we kind of, yeah, Tane ran around Luang Prabang trying to find bike boxes to box all our kit up. And um, yeah, we we landed in in Bangkok and luckily we had a, a good friend who lived there who picked us up and he's Thai so he took us to the hospital and was translating for us and after a very long time speaking with travel insurance which is probably the most stressful part of it all to be mm-hmm. honest um, we got admitted and then it wasn't until the following morning that the results came back that I had hepatitis E yeah okay and so I don't know much about the hepatitis I know there's, there's numbers you know um, yeah. Uh, letters for each of them what is e compared to the rest of them do you know or is it so, just hepatitis i think is like a, a liver virus and they have all these different types of viruses um and e is just the particular name for one of the viruses um and this particular type of hepatitis it um it's a self-limiting virus so it'll go until it dies and then and then you're fine so um your body it, your body fights it and then and then it finishes and then you're fine for uh after that so it just the doctor said it would either take one to two months and then after that you'd be fully recovered and so by by the end when Arnika was saying we we after Bangkok we flew to Hanoi in Vietnam met her Arnika's parents that we've been uh, planning to meet like kind of months months and uh, prior uh, and then kind of traveled with them for a bit and then got a final blood test um, before we got back on the road and got cycling again so it was five weeks in total, our hepatitis holiday. Yeah. So, so at this point, are you like, okay, this is it. I'm done. I don't want to go home. I want to, you know, or you're like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to finish this. I'm going to get through this. Yeah, not at all. Does not want to go home. With like, we're just just entered Southeast Asia. We mapped out a whole route. We're so excited, you know, and it was like, no way, we're not, we're not going home. It, for me, it didn't cross my mind. And actually, one of the doctors. In the hospital was like you like when we got in bangkok he was like you know you should probably fly home and i got really mad at him and i was like you can't tell me to go home i'm staying here this is good like the medical care in in bangkok was exceptional is is probably better than what would get in new zealand and um but it was for me it was i think maybe maybe it was a little bit scary that i thought if something seriously was wrong if it was more than something that was treatable then that would be the end of the trip and but actually but no it didn't cross my mind that I had to fly home for health care I was happy to have health care in in Asia and get it sorted yeah okay so you're fixed up you've already flown back at this point anyway to, to, to get your final blood test right so yeah we got our final blood test in Hoi An which is in the center of Vietnam on the coast and this is like the, the kind of all clear yeah got the blood test it's it's all clear all the numbers are i've got a normal liver again so i can get back on the bike so we did the very next day mm. and and so yeah that's what we were talking about before so when Annika was uh recovering from her illness um we made the decision to follow the coast all the way down and, um as opposed to going through the uh, ho chi minh trail and stuff like that uh, and we had the best the best time in vietnam vietnam's a really interesting country the people were really really friendly 
and the culture is really interesting the food's delicious i think the only downside is the the touristy spots they're not so nice like i didn't really enjoy them at all but uh, apart from hoya hanoi hoyan hoyan which is awesome. awesome yeah but we were because we were following the coast we were following uh we're going through sucking through a lot of tiny fishermen villages I'm, i mean i'm talking like 500 to a thousand people live in these little villages and all of the men uh, are fishermen in, in, in this little village and um, but everybody would be yelling out to us saying hello hello and just welcoming us to the to Vietnam and um, running and up kids. to us all the kids you could hear hellos from all in the distance you couldn't even see like where it was coming from because um, we always try to wave out and say hello back but we, we couldn't we didn't even know where they were coming from um, but one, it was 9.30 in the morning and one group of men came out to the street and were like saying to Tane, come in, come in. And it was really hot in Vietnam. And we thought, and they were like doing the symbol for a drink. And we were like, oh, good, yeah, we could really do with a cold drink right now. Not knowing that they were already on the beers at 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> and so... As a female, I can get out of it, but you downed like two in like twenty minutes or something. Yeah, so the way because they they don't have well, they don't have a whole lot of fridges there, so you get served your your cup and a m- massive piece of ice, and then um, beer poured over the ice, and you just drink it drink it like that. And that was like awesome, you know, when you've been cycling in the heat like that, just have something cold. You just yeah, like, yeah, drink and nine thirty in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so I had like two, two, two or three beers or something. And in the meantime, so they, they, their job was clearly they were like avocado pickers and it was avocado season. And so they were feeding me avocados. But they, how they eat it is they, you know how we kind of cut avocados like lengthways? Well, they cut it on the, the opposite way and take the top off, like an Easter egg, I guess. And then they take the pip out and then they re- in, that, in that hole they put tablespoons of sugar and then they mix it all around, so they make like this sweet avocado mix, and then they just eat it out of the skin like that. <laughs> I, 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 it was awful. <laughs> but I sat there eating it, and um, yeah, put it in some bread, which they thought was a bit strange. But I was like, I just want to put this in some bread. <laughs> but um, that, then they loaded us up with two kilos of avocados, mm. <laughs> and we 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 rode away with. And they we I tried to give them some money and. They refused. It was like they were insulted. They refused to take our money because mm. we'd been drinking beers and ate all these avocados, and they're like two dollars an avocado in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, more than that in the winter. Bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was. That and then yeah, so we followed all the way down the coastline, which is really beautiful. Beautiful beaches, really remote. Uh, it's really lovely. Go go for swims at lunchtime during the day because it's so hot, uh, 35, 40 degrees. Stop! Stop when the real peak of the sun uh, and the real heat of the day. Uh, pull up to some beach somewhere and go for a swim in like the beautiful kind of clear water on the white sand beaches. Get back on the bikes when it's a bit cooler and continue on to. Sounds the, like it's a hard life. Yeah, <laughs> and we're staying mainly in hotels in Vietnam because it's it was about seven seven pounds, so about fourteen fifteen dollars would be the average price for a really nice clean room, ensuite bathroom, air conditioning. Just yeah, so we did that. So you recommend actually doing that if you have a little bit of budget to stretch to, to, to actually... Yeah. Yeah, just because it was so hot and the rooms were affordable and um, 
and it was just an escape from the the heat but we met a, a spanish couple and they were um staying at churches in vietnam there's a huge christian community and they would just rock up to a church and find like the groundskeeper and ask to camp at the church so but we we were happy to pay mm. the seven pounds it's kind of well within our budget for that, so. yeah mm. so that, that was all good okay. yeah we, we camped once and we didn't sleep because we were just rolled in our own sweat for the entire night. Yeah. We were like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cheap as well. Then. Yeah. Yeah. It's also not as, um, uh, as accepted. Camping's not as accepted in Vietnam as what it is in Thailand and Malaysia. So just moving ahead a bit from Vietnam, we went, um, oh, we cycled through the Mekong Delta to get to Cambodia which was absolutely stunning um, and you take like they still use um, uh, like boats to uh, move coconuts and bananas and and you're you're there taking these boats as well on your bicycles and you're you're getting to places that no tourists go it, it was magical yeah it's like a maze of all these small lanes and these kind of tiny canals that kind of intersect because like the Mekong Delta it just kind of like spreads out and um, there's all these rivers and tiny little roads that are only only for bikes and motorbikes and stuff. So you're just kind of weaving your way through. Even the roads through, when anyone like, on maps, say, eh, on yeah. any, so Tani just had to follow his nose. And that's, the, like, it's hard work for you, but it was great for me. But it just seeing how fertile the land was and seeing how people really made use of their plot of land, mm. which was cool. Could people go to these floating markets, uh, like the tourist floating markets, and on a bike you don't need to like we didn't go to any of those because you just see it as you're cycling along which is which is really awesome so we went through cambodia we we went like normal siem reap phnom penh and Wat, um kind of hit hit the big sites and then when we entered thailand we knew we could camp again um so you, in thailand we camped in all sorts of places we camped in um police stations highway um Depots, depots. Um, lots of temples, um, fire fire stations, like picnic areas and stuff. Picnic areas, public parks with playgrounds. We felt really homeless then. <laughs> <laughs> we had a shower in the sink in the public toilet, <laughs> and then washed our clothes and then hung them out on the playground <laughs> to dry. That was a low moment. <laughs> But at this point, your confidence is so high, right? You're like, yeah, yeah. whatever, yeah. part of the trip. Big time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was that was that was cool. Thailand's an easy, really easy place to tour in. Mm. We we kind of said as we were cycling there that if anybody wanted to start a cycle tour but didn't know where to start, we would say start in Thailand. It's it's really it's easy to navigate. The roads are in good condition. There's food everywhere and obviously really good it's cheap um and did i say you can camp everywhere and it's flat yeah and you can camp everywhere. yeah it's, pretty, it's pretty relatively flat so you're not kind of dealing with big mountain passes and stuff like that and, yeah and, and it, the people are friendly but not overly friendly like they're not so interested in, in you i think it's got something to do with the fact that there's you know 40 million tourists a year or something that go to thailand um but but they're interested in and that, that if you go up to them and ask them, they'll help you for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
and then we're kind of moving through Southeast Asia quite quickly <laughs> and then yeah through Malaysia which again is uh, a Muslim country so we camped not very often but mainly stayed in people's homes again um, which is always you know the best way to get to know a culture so that's going to be for me that's going to be my intro to to to, to there as well because oh, yeah, I'm going to be fine. yeah so oh, I'm going to cool. do the same as your trip Australia then over to KL so that'd be my introduction there will be reverse to you guys as well yeah. oh <laughs> you're gonna love it yeah and you have some good hills out of KL too okay warm up yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, Fraser's Hill. That's that's the first when you when you leave KL. It's, it's really good. Lots lots of um, Malaysians go there and start cycling. Yeah. And what, what's it like when you start hitting the big cities? Or you obviously coming out of the middle of nowhere. You're coming out and you're starting to hit them. You just you just feel like you're getting to them, or does it just become busier and harder and more traffic and stuff? Yeah, they're difficult. So you kind of it takes a bit of pre-planning on what routes you're going to do. Again, like googling, like trying to find out what what are, what are the best routes yeah. to take into. And so entering a city as chief navigator, entering a city is kind of like quite important to sort of map out yeah at least at least a day a day or two beforehand that i'll start kind of planning that yeah and you would ask people yeah ask locals a yeah lot. And, and any any cyclists that we meet always kind of ask like talking to them about what routes they took and you know, and if, if we know people if we know cyclists that have been touring there message them about what what's the best way to kind of enter or if you're going in to stay with the warm showers host then like you can ask the warm showers host like what's best best way everyone's super helpful so we've, we've totally got to do an introduction to warm showers mm-hmm. i've completely forgot we've been mentioning warm showers and some people know about it but it's actually still really really underground i mean yeah. even cyclists don't really know about it i've never used it before yeah. but i know of it only within the last year or so so you can stay with my mum and dad they're warm showers host warm showers host sorted uh, warm showers experience. podcast yeah. <laughs> So to, to just introduce what, what Warm Showers is and the concept of it. Yeah, so Warm Showers is worldwide and it's a community of cyclists hosting cyclists. It's such an amazing resource. So it's similar to couch surfing, um, but it's just for cyclists. So um, you, you've, you've got a profile and the hosts have got a profile. Um, there's a map on the app that you can see where kind of a rough, location of where people live and you can read their profile and if you think you're going to get along with that person um, which you know most of the time you do um, you contact them and say when you're passing through their town and if they can host you you also leave feedback for people which is really important because people have that kind of safety net of hearing from other people Um, but it's it's such an amazing way to to meet locals in a city and um and you've got that one thing already in common cycling you know and yeah because like staying in people's homes is where you get the real introduction to to the culture of the country like i mean sleeping in like we love camping and like you know staying in hotels is okay but like when you're staying in someone's home that's when you when you really get to realize what it's like to live there because you you know you you get to walk in their shoes you know so I mean that's 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 why I think we loved Iran so much is because we spent so much time in people's homes and we got to kind of really know the culture there but kind of um, warm showers is kind of a similar experience in some ways where you get in, entered into people's homes so do, what's your advice for using uh, warm showers like do you do you really really pre-plan ahead and, and message them or is it like do you kind of give it a week out to sort of you know connect with people um, pins 
So I reckon we do it two to three days in advance, usually. I mean, it depends. Like, we'll have, like, a general look at the, at the country and see, because you can see on the map how many hosts there are in particular regions, and then you can kind of go into uh, districts to see how many people are kind of along on your route, and then... And then, when, and then, then you have a basic idea of, of, of what's there. And then, once we're kind of getting closer, because our route's kind of adaptable, um, when we get closer, we'll look again, and then, and then make contact uh, at least a couple of days beforehand. Okay. And the other, the other advice is to, to don't do generic message, mm. to make it to really read their profile and to read their feedback and to work out actually do I want to stay with them don't just stay with them because you think it's going to be a free place to stay but for us um, we we read the profile we read the feedback and we get an idea of what they're like as a couple and or single person and 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 then we tailor our and our first ask like email to them accordingly because I mean we meet We've met, we stayed with hosts who get like three or four messages a day and a lot of it's just copy and paste and they're like, well, we don't, have they even read our profile? Do they know if they are going to get along with us? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's important. Like we haven't contacted some hosts before because we've read their profile and we've thought actually maybe they're not, we're, maybe we're not going to get along so well, uh, which is a hard call to say, but, but we want to make sure that we get, something out of it and they get something out of hosting us you know it's a it's a two-way relationship yeah so basically don't look at it as like a a free tool for accommodation on your way home mm. yeah look at it as a way to stay with local people an organized way and and you know you're, you're going to get along with them yeah it's an opportunity to meet someone new and to potentially make a new friend you know yeah yeah for sure cool well, let's 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 the, the last leg of the journey now. So you're coming into to KL some point. Oh yeah. Well, we carried we carried on to Singapore, then flew to um, Jakarta to spend a month with Tane's mum there, and then we flew to Adelaide from Jakarta. See so, yeah. it. And had a really awesome time in Australia. Uh, Exceeded along, our expectations. Yeah, cycled uh, along the Coorong, which is this really kind of remote area. Uh, native forest and lots of native animals and then along the great ocean road which is stunning like really beautiful and then into melbourne yeah yeah it was pretty crazy it was 1200 k's in 14 days so for, for us and there was no rest days so that was full on for us um especially because we just had four weeks off the bikes um but it was the australians were so friendly to us you're just in the supermarket and people come up and are talking to you and um we stayed in a stranger's home People he came us, from yeah. the fr we were just outside the supermarket and he told us to come and stay in, in his garden so we did <laughs> we're pretty good at saying yes to things now um but the wildlife in australia so in the first few days we'd saw wild emus kangaroos wallabies snakes and then a whole lot of birds yeah. oh it was just amazing it was just incredible to see see all that wildlife and the camping yeah there's lots of free camping australians love to camp so it's it's a very different approach to what it's like in new zealand like everybody goes on free camps Every, that, that's what you do in australia and so um there's there's loads of camping to be had everywhere yeah that was cool yeah yeah and it felt it was the feeling of landing in australia 
at that stage we'd spent 14 months in Asia and we had we had not been in a native English speaking country since we left London so straight away it was there were well white people everywhere and everybody spoke English and you know we were cracking jokes with the customs guys you know and all of a sudden this you know we're so used to having just um quite a easy conversation hi how are you but all of a sudden you know we can speak the same language so our conversations were more in depth and you're cracking jokes with people again it was not something you can do when you don't speak the same language mm-hmm. so um yeah that was that was quite a bit of a culture shock actually mm-hmm. yeah yeah so how was uh getting to melbourne from your instagram it looked like a great you had a, oh, yeah. a great time Galanes. Cycle lane right into Melbourne for about 60 k's, eh? Yeah. Oh, easy. Yeah. One of the easiest um, cities to cycle into. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Got nothing. Well, you'll be flying into there probably. Flying to Sydney and cycling into into Melbourne. Oh, yeah. So so Melbourne is where you're from as well. Well, You you, you spent some time. Sorry. See, I studied in Melbourne. So I moved there when I was 18. So did it. Yeah, yeah. So did it feel like go into like a, a second third home for a yeah, short while yeah it was yeah i went and showed tane because it's tane's first time so we did a cycle tour in melbourne and showed him where i used to live and where i studied and where i worked and mm-hmm. met all my friends there and uh, we've got a lot of friends that have moved there either from auckland or from london so it was yeah we had a really good time um catching up with everybody there and staying with our good friends courtney and aj so yeah Cool. So how does this feel at this point then? So you've only got like that. Did you fly back into New Zealand from Melbourne? Okay, so this is like the end of the biggest part of your trip now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we kind of made our goal. So we wanted to be home for Christmas, which which we were. Our initial plan was to finish. We were going to be finished by Christmas, but we, we've we added on about just over two months. And, uh, and yeah, now, so, so now we've got about... 700 k's left until we arrive in Cape Reina. Yeah. And so, so your, your, your trip through New Zealand, so you flew back into Auckland. You both went back home for a while? Yes, yeah, so I flew to Auckland. I flew to Wellington, spent Christmas with our families, and then we both flew to Invercargill, and then we got a ride down to Bluff and started our trip from there. Yeah. 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 So how has it been, been riding from New Zealand compared to everywhere else? Um... I think we've both had different experience, well, different feelings towards it because for me it was my first time when we landed in Invercargill, that was my first time in the South Island. And when we're cycling in the South Island, I just felt like it was a totally different country. So I didn't feel like it was New Zealand. But for you, Tane, because you'd studied in Dunedin and traveled a lot, you were like, wow. What are you talking about, Annika? This is New Zealand, and yeah. every day I was like, it just feels like a different country. Tony's like, it's New Zealand. But this is very typical of, of people either from New Zealand or people who travel here. Like the North Island and the South Island are almost different countries, right? I mean, I've travelled through both of them, not as in depth as you probably have, but you kind of do get a sense that there is kind of like completely different kind of culture going on there. Different type of people, different landscape, different quieter, bigger, longer roads, more mountains. Yeah, they are. They are very different. I mean, we found the cycling in the south um, like very beautiful. Like the mountains are pretty spectacular, and 
beautiful lakes, um, but the roads the roads are quite dangerous. The drivers are quite dangerous. Some experience I've had here as well. Yeah, I think, um, and it's it's something that's lot lots of cyclists had this experience. We've kind of talked to a few people about it, and um, it's a combination of things. I think the it's we haven't had we haven't had any of the experiences that we had in the South Island. We haven't had them in the North. So like of um, loads of really busy traffic passing us really closely has, has been the main issue in, in the south. It hasn't been like that in the north. Um, but the roads in the south are, there's not a lot of them connecting the cities and they're quite narrow. There's not much of a shoulder and the traffic doesn't seem to be very well educated on how to handle cyclists on the road. So... So yeah, we, we had we had quite a few days where it was just like, man, I don't I don't really want to be on the road right now, and like where we'd kind of planned ahead, and some days where we'd just be like, okay, we've got to go as early as we can to try and uh, get off the road as quickly as possible, because we were, we were cycling in um, in January over the holiday period, so there were lots of people on the road and yeah, carrying their boats. And... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because when I was travelling through there in in a car, you know, not 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 cycling, um, I had the same feeling, similar feeling. You know, I'm I'm driving at like a hundred kilometres an hour down this, you know, country lane would be back in the UK, right? It's like a small kind of narrow kind of road, and and just enough for two cars to go either side. And yet you'd see uh, tours cycling through. You know, I'm thinking that it can't be like you know the most romantic way to ride a bike. Yeah, it's not, and but I mean. There's not much, there's not other options, you know, like if you're going from point A to point B, there's only one road. Mm. So either you, you you don't go to that way or, or you go on the main road. Mm. Yeah. But the campaign surprised us. Like we were a bit worried about, because, you know, we'd read the articles and the, me- and the media about, you know, freedom campers and whatnot. But actually we were ple- pleasantly surprised at the abundance of official free camping spots, which was great for us. Um, so it'd just be like a parking lot with the toilet spots, um, spot, or um, we use Wikicamps Wiki NZ um, to find the free camp spots, um, like Lake Pukaki, mm. absolutely stunning place to camp. And we were really lucky with clear skies so we could see Mount Cook, you know, at sunset and sunrise. Um, so the camping place, yeah. and we did wild, we wild camped as well. And in the South Island, we never, uh, but not, not too often actually we're mostly in either dock campsites or free official free camp spots which was yeah really awesome um and we yeah we've tried to do as many of the trails as possible mm. um i wouldn't recommend uh big river which is just outside reefton on touring bikes <laughs> that was a slog that was took us six and a half hours to hike our bikes 12 k's that was fun there were almost tears on, on that one. There were almost tears. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely tantrums. But. There were some tantrums. Um, but lucky we were cycling with the Italian guy, Yuri, who's the most positive person in the world. And so he really got, got, got us through that. Yeah. So that was good. Um, yeah. And yeah, in the North Island, yeah, we did the timber trail the opposite way to what everybody else does. That, that was wicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was your, fa- your favourite section was the timber trail then? And the um, around the mountains into Queenstown, we had two friends, Courtney and Alex, who joined us for that. That was epic. From Mavora Lakes to um, Walters Peak, stunning. Mm. Yeah. And we did parts of the Alps to Ocean, 
I'd like to go back and do all of the Alps to Ocean and that's around, that goes from Mount Cook down to Timaru. Eh? But we joined on it near Twizel and went around Pukaki and Tekapo. Oh, that was very picturesque. I think also the section where uh, from Palmerston North up to Hunterville and then on to Whanganui, it's really nice. It's not like it's there's anything particularly interesting, but it's quite uh, iconic New Zealand with the sheep farms and the gravel roads. It's very much like rural New Zealand. Yeah. So if you can advise someone to, to ride through New Zealand, you would, would say jump on most of the trails as much as you can. Yeah, I think New Zealand's designed, I think it's best best enjoyed on the trails. Yeah, yeah. and you should do it on a mountain bike. Yeah, bikepacking, similar to what you've got your set up. Mm. We had um, some small acts of kindness in New Zealand were just out, outside the supermarket. Lots of acts of kindness happen outside the supermarkets. It's quite, we spend a lot of time at supermarkets. And one guy just came out, we we're in Palmerston North, he just came out and he had a box of those um, protein nut, protein bars. He's like, he just handed it to us. He's like, looks like you guys need these. Just handed it to us and walks off. <laughs> That's all he said. Like, we didn't even have time to say thanks. Different kind of generosity. <laughs> yeah. You guys need these. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Now we're here. So what's the, what's the next rest of this month looking like then for you guys? So we go we go to this wedding uh, down south and then um, and then we're allowing ten days to cycle from from Auckland to Cape Reinga. So there's going to be uh, Annika's auntie um, Mariana's going to join us and our good friend Critty's going to join us. So there'll be four of us as a crew. And you're joining us. Yeah, I'm I'm going to jump on for for a sort of section, do a yeah, Q and A. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Test yeah. everything out. Yeah, and then and then we kind of follow up. So one of the great things that's that's happened in New Zealand is we've stayed with lots of family and friends. And that's been like a really nice change to what what we've experienced in other countries. So we're going to continue doing that um, uh, through kind of uh, Walkworth and Waipu and Whangarei. And then and then we follow the west coast up to um, Ahipara along Ninety Mile Beach and then in Cape Reinga. Awesome. So yeah, yeah, pretty uh, exciting kind of uh, time ahead. It's going to be the end, the end of the end of after almost two years. How does that feel? To, to, to be coming close to the end does it feel like the end does it feel like the end of your, your, your whole journey or is it like the start of something else yeah I think both of the above it, it does feel like we've thought about and dreamt about this these moments for for this whole time but it feels surreal that we've now cycled through Tani's hometown in Wellington and now we've cycled to my hometown in Bombay and we've just got this final stint to do and I think because that's always been the plan, this is this has always been the end, it does feel like the end is coming, but we're both, well, I, we're excited that, you know, about the next chapter, about, you know, finding jobs in Auckland and, and being around our family and friends and being in the same country as them again, um, and, and I guess falling in love with our country, trying to do a lot of the great walks and more of the great rides and making the most of what New Zealand has to offer, yeah. Mm. So a, a, a question, an obvious question to ask, like how from you guys living your life in London to, to now being back here in those up to two years, how do you think it's changed your, you two as a, as a, as a relationship together? Like what, what, what do you think has changed? I mean, you're spending like every day together, you know, this is everything you're planning together, working together, 
your budgets together, you've you've gone through every high and low together, and they always say like you know that that those are the things that make or break a relationship, and then you know to go through the hard times together and stuff, and you've definitely been through them. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like normal. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. We've learned how to be able to give space to each other, even though we're physically next to each other. Does that make sense? So, example, we can be laying in the tent. Not, it's not like we've had it. It's just that, you know, when you're had an intense day cycling or intense day meeting lots of people when you get into your tent it's like it's like your time you know so we kind of give that space to each other and you know i'll read my kindle and tani might read the news on his phone or you know and we kind of are able to still be next to each other but we don't have to be like constantly talking or constantly chatting with, with each other mm. like the comfortable comfortable silence as i like to call <laughs> yeah. it yeah yeah big time yeah <laughs> but I, I don't know I think we're still the same as a couple. Yeah. <laughs> you just have these amazing experiences and journeys to sort of refer back to. Yeah. That moment when. And like, I think one of the things that you don't realize before going on a trip like this is that you're going to spend so much time uh, just with one other person. So that they're going to be, so you know, Annika's the only person that I have on the road. So she's like my friend and, you know, she's, she's you know, the executive chef and she's, <laughs> she's <laughs> but she's kind of the only thing that I've got and the only person that I can rely on so you, you can't hold you know we, we have arguments as everybody else does but you can't really hold on to it because you can't you can't get away from her she's always there <laughs> I'm always following you <laughs> she's always she's always behind me I've been trying to write off but <laughs> I can't lose her um, so you've just got to make it work so we if don't we have, have another option. If we have a disagreement on something, we just say, we both say, we get it off our chest. And then we still disagree with each other. But you just have to move on. And like the other day we had a disagreement. It's like, all right, let's just get on the bikes and ride and we'll be fine. Sure enough, we just got on the bikes and ride and then it's gone. So like we left, left that argument behind, you know? Which is, is, maybe it set us up pretty, pretty well. It's a pretty good thing to have, yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I've no idea how, I mean, I can only imagine the worst and the, and the best times you probably have together. And I'm sure everyone out there who's riding together with people would have different experiences and stuff. But I just think of the, you know, you're going to be together for two years every single day, you know. I always find it interesting when people work together and, and live together and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting how, how, how it kind of develops people, I guess. And I guess you're kind of, you haven't even finished your trip yet to figure out how we kind of change you both as people, I guess. So I'll ask that same question again. Yeah, that would be a good one for the Q&A. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't really reflected much on how it's changed us. No, not yet. No. We've learned a lot of lessons. Well, I guess that probably concludes the show then. The intro to, uh, well, introduce your, um, your Instagram as well for people to follow. Oh yeah, we're world spokespeople. So how did you come up with a name? Um, oh, that is was a huge debacle because all the names I liked Tane hated and all the ones Tane loved I hated what was your one psycho cyclist or something you wanted <laughs> that was pretty good yeah no that was terrible psycho cyclist I wonder if it's still out there yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah my work colleague in London Kat she came up with spokespeople and then it was getting to crunch time like I really needed to start make our URL for the website and um, 
So I was like, Titane, one night, spokespeople, this is it. And he's like, oh, it's okay. So it wasn't a no from him. It was a okay. I'm like, okay, we're going with spokespeople. And I went to make our WordPress um, website and you couldn't do spokespeople. And actually one of the suggestions was world spokespeople. So that, that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. WordPress. Thanks, WordPress. WordPress gave you a name. Yeah. And Cat. No, Cat was... Because it was... Spokespeople was pretty cool. Like, mm. Would have just been spokespeople. Um, but it's, yeah. Well, well, spokespeople was even better. And we haven't of, we yeah. haven't broken any spokes. Because that was going to be your next question, wasn't it? No, but no. It's, it's good to know. Yeah. Tani carries about half a dozen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to do the same, actually. Reminds me, I need to order some more. The absolute last question, then. Um, yeah. Instagram, how important has Instagram been to you on the trip? So much more than what we ever thought it would be. 100% mm. biggest mm. fans of Instagram. I mean, I'd never never used it before, and I was pretty much like, well, I don't really think this is something that I want to, want to do. And But Annika really kind of pushed for it, and so she kind of managed it. And then, I was, and then once it started going, and started people started following us, and then the real benefit is the way that it connects you with other people. And then mm. you get to meet other cyclists and... Um, people invite you into their homes I'm not sure how many uh, Instagram people have invited us into their homes that we've stayed with maybe a dozen yeah. maybe more that you know they've just contacted us through Instagram and then and then all the cyclists that you meet so you can share information send them private messages and it's been a really good tool yeah, yeah, yeah. and then of course sharing a really easy way to share with um, family and friends and we would have never met you if it wasn't for Instagram totally I mean, I probably wouldn't have had this idea for the trip, maybe, as well. Because That's it was actually the, the the stories and the posting that kind of really kind of opened my eyes up to what you could do. Mm. And, and um, actually, how easy you made it look, you know, how, like, accessible you made it look. And that's kind of what gave me the idea for, for Cycling Home and also probably doing the podcast as well, just to kind of add my little bit to, to people wanting to ride bikes around the world. Now, it's awesome what you're about to do. Now, it's really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like we're tag teaming each other to go back yeah. home so I'm, yeah. I'm taking the baton back to london so yeah. maybe we've got to give you something to i just was thinking of that i've got something to give you but i, I don't have it on me so i do have something we'll to have to back. do the second part then later yeah. on all right well thanks both for joining the show super long one for everyone and uh i guess if anyone's got questions they can just follow your instagram and send you messages there which is at World spokespeople. Yeah. yeah. And obviously our website, which is the same, www.worldspokespeople.com. Dot com. And then we've got YouTube, which is World Spokespeople. And that's everything. That's everything. Three videos up on YouTube. And that's once we've got some jobs, we'll make some more videos. Cool. So. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the show, guys. That's Pedaling Podcast. It's me. I'm about to start my journey kind of soonish. There's a few more podcasts to come out before I leave Auckland. Next week, I'm talking to Sammy Sowie. So she is a filmmaker, a photographer, a bit of everything, but it's a super, super interesting conversation. And she's really inspired me to think differently about my whole trip and how to document and share and photograph everything I see and do on the way home as well. So if you're from a creative side, also in cycling or not in cycling, sport or anything really, um, you might find it super interesting to hear where she's kind of come from, where she's grown, where she's going uh, and how she figures things out when she's on the move uh, with cycling. And that's the reason why I wanted to talk to her as well. So I'll share that next week. And then you can follow my Instagram, my podcast, uh, and also the online stuff as well. So Pedlin Podcast, a search for that, you'll find everything as well. Thanks, guys.